Curiosity is not a sin, Harry, but you should exercise caution. He's a time strand. You're fraternizing with the enemy. There's the, um, the Cruciatus curse. We'll celebrate a boy who is kind and honest and brave and true right to the very end. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We're doing chapter 25, The Egg and the Eye. Anna's back with us again. Hello! And we have a fun chapter here. I know both of us got a lot out of this. Uh, we just, forewarning, we're going to have a really interesting spoiler section because I think <laughs> there's a lot that we wanted to kind of get into in the spoiler section, but uh, we will do our best with non-spoilers here. And um, there's a lot that goes on. We have our introduction to a prefect's bathroom. We have a moaning Myrtle sighting. Creeper! And we have a Filch, Moody, and Snape pajama party to get to. So, I know what you're probably thinking. Like, what could there possibly be spoiler version in all of that? But there is. There's definitely. So, I know we both took note of the prefect's bathroom. Dude, rave in the prefect's bathroom. All right. Come on. It's massive. So many bubbles. There's a diving board. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That is absurd. It's not a prefect's bathroom. It's a prefect swimming pool who do you think it's put a in a diving board who's like whose idea was it to put in a diving board was it some like it clearly James was James a... Potter when he became head boy I mean, and ball. that's fair that's I can totally see him doing that <laughs> I I was gonna assume it's gotta be a muggle-born prefect of some oh true yeah. that knows what a like a muggle pool is like and was like no we need one of these you guys are missing out there's a lot to this. There's over a hundred taps full of different perfumed bubble options. Interesting. And they have different effects, too. I think one, like, bounces off the water like a fountain. Right. Um, different colors. A lot of different options. Uh, what was the password? Spring Fresh. You need a password Pine to get in there. Fresh. Pine Fresh. Yeah. I keep saying Spring Fresh. I don't know why. But it That's is Pine Fresh. That's the actual soap. <laughs> yeah, probably. But we each have questions about... Before we actually get into what happened... In the prefect's bathroom. We both have questions about the prefect's bathroom. So many questions. Do you want to do yours first or mine first? I don't care. Mine is ridiculous. Go for it. Okay. I have brought up many a time a ridiculous tangent or two (laughs) on this podcast, unashamedly, okay? It's fine. We could talk about silly things here. And this is going to be another silly thing. The last silly thing I brought up was haircuts. Never seemed to be talked about at all, ever. Yeah, which was the result, obviously, in the Goblet of Fire movie. Harry and Ron's hair were ridiculous. <laughs> right, exactly. And, uh, gosh, we know Hagrid's mane mm-hmm. of a hair. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. But Somebody was not taught how to handle textured hair <laughs> in the wizarding world. This presents the question, this prefect's bathroom here, they talk about the bath. And with all the perfumed uh, taps and such. Is this the only like, are the only baths in Hogwarts in the prefect's bathrooms? And if so, is the only way to shower and or bathe is to go into it? Are all the bathrooms like this? They're not like this. I mean, I hope not. In my mind, I always imagine it being like, you know, a bathroom with a basic, you know, toilet and shower that is shared by each year, like, 
like Harry, Ron, Seamus, Dean, and Neville all share in a bathroom. They all have their like shower schedule, whatever. Yep, that makes total logical sense. If that is not what it is, if everybody has to share one giant bath and it's like the Roman bath experience <laughs> in Hogwarts, I feel so bad for these kids. I mean, like, so it's the prefect's bathroom. Do the boys and girls all go to the same bathroom? In which case, like, 14-year-old Anna would never have bathed. I mean, it does have a lock on it. So do you have to, like, because he bolts it at the when he walks in. Oh. So there is a lock I to it. I remember that. So here's my thing. Is it, like, there's only two, is there two prefects at one time? And two? It's two per year per house. So, like, there's two fifth-year prefects, there's two sixth-year prefects, and there's two seventh-year prefects. Okay, so there's six, plus the head boy and head girl. Right. Which so I think... There's eight Oh, yeah, they total. don't necessarily... Yeah. So that's eight total that have access to... Is this the only bathroom? Well, 32, because it's per... It's oh, houses. per house. You're yeah. right. You're right. So do they all... So is it broken down by house? So is this a Hufflepuff prefix bathroom is what I'm saying? I mean, I guess the castle's big enough. It could be that. But also, <laughs> why did Cedric even need to offer out the prefix bathroom? Why couldn't he have just been like, hey, Harry, bring the egg under some water? Okay, that's a good point. So he didn't say take it to a bath. He take said, a bath. Right. He didn't say... Which really, Harry didn't even need to take a bath. He could have just stuck his head under he some could've. water. But he didn't say just a bath or the bath or the Gryffindor bath or the whatever. He said the prefect's bath specifically. So then that would lead you to believe that these are the only types Maybe that are available. Maybe it was something about the mermaid portrait and that's why he specifically offered up the prefect's bathroom? Oh, that could be too. Help him lead yeah. to a conclusion quicker. Since we find out that that's really what led Cedric to it. Yeah, uh, it could have been that specific prefect's bathroom. Yeah. But it's a good Still, point. Like, why offer up the pre? Like, is that all there is for private bathing or prefects? And that's still not even private. Because I don't know that it would work under, like, a shower or a faucet tap because that's not exactly yeah, underwater. that's probably not enough. That's not enough. No. It needs to be submerged. Yeah. So, yeah. Questions abound about prefect's bathrooms. <laughs> Um, we should probably get to what happens in the said prefect's Fair bathroom. Fair enough. Uh, so, um, Harry is questioning whether Cedric Diggory just played a massive prank on him the entire time. <laughs> and... Can you imagine the awfulness of that screeching bouncing off of the walls of this bathroom? Oh, that'd be awful. Oh, gosh. That'd be so bad. And, uh, first of all, I like... The whole reason he's even doing this in the first place is because the urgency of figuring this out has gotten to him. Yet he still takes the time to like play with all the taps, take a couple I mean, laps in the pool. How could you not? I know. Come on. It just hits me. It's like I gotta do this. I gotta do. Ooh, this is nice. <laughs> like, man, it would be great to be a prefect just to use this room. Yeah. Like, it's interesting. But we get a surprise appearance. Moaning Myrtle appears. In one of the spouts of the taps. What a reintroduction to Myrtle. She is a... Because we haven't seen her since Chamber of Secrets, right? That's correct, because he hasn't come visiting, uh, hasn't come to visit her in the bathroom. Yeah, I know, right? He... I don't think he'll be visiting her after this interaction either. <laughs> Harry does a really 
admirable job of trying to come up with an excuse on the spot about why he hasn't come to visit. Which she shoots down like the first one or two and then he finally gets her with like a possible answer. But good effort for Harry. She does help him out. Quite a bit in this process. Granted, well, yeah. in a teasing way, but she does doesn't Harry get him there. Go, go underwater listening if it's not for Myrtle. I don't Which, know. Uh, okay, all things aside, Cedric's tips, Myrtle's tips, whatever have you. Harry, you're literally throwing this thing around the Gryffindor common room yeah. trying to get this thing to work. You're Asking sitting questions while it screams at you. Right. Like, why wouldn't you think to put it under the water? Like, you really have to have, like, two individuals be like, hey, mull things over in the bath. Maybe you should do that. Hey, put I don't know. I still think he put, <laughs> figures it out quicker than Cedric does, based on the information we're given about Cedric's experience. But So, Cedric did take longer for the whole process. Yeah. In fairness to Cedric... Myrtle didn't know. Myrtle wasn't giving him tips because she didn't know either. Myrtle didn't give him tips after Harry listened to the song. By the sounds of it, Cedric took a minute to figure out what Harry figured out in like a minute or two. The Mer people thing was, I think, the mm-hmm. thing that Harry figured out quicker. Yeah. But I don't know when Cedric figured out this whole thing. Like, I don't know when... Like going underneath the water and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. We've talked last episode about how there are some similarities between Cedric and Harry is how they're constituted um, morally, I guess. Mm-hmm. Fair play and the such. Mm-hmm. And I guess even though they're somewhat similar, you can still have differences in how you figure stuff out. So if, if like... Well, yeah, everybody's brain works right. differently. But, oh my uh, god, going back to Myrtle for just a second. Yes, I was just about to get back to Myrtle. Okay. okay. Would covering her eyes and closing her eyelids, which is all transparent, really stop her from seeing Harry? Okay, you just delved into a philosophical question. I just think Myrtle is a creeper, <laughs> and I feel bad for Harry. Uh, okay, well, to answer that, yes. <laughs> Number one. Number two... And I feel bad for all the prefects that she's apparently spying on. Waiting for all the bubbles to be almost gone. Yeah. That's problematic. Yeah. Um, although, does all of that problematicness get equaled out to her getting flushed down with whatever <laughs> waste? so gross. Right? That's, so that's gross. disgusting. And Harry considered it for a second. He's like, I don't want to think about that. I'm putting that to the side. Uh, but to your other question, to the crux of your question, I'm going to say that yes, it counts as closing her eyes because, and she can't see through the transparentness because okay. that transparency is still like it's part of her. her. Okay. So I think that's how I'm going to do it. Okay. I'll accept that answer just because for Harry's sake, I want that yeah. to be the answer. Uh, yeah. I think we did a, a couple of deep dives on ghosts way earlier on in the podcast and it's like oh like how do ghosts like write yeah and stuff like that and like how does that work and they interact with some objects but not others how does that work eh. um and i think one of it was if they died they have access to like things as part of their lives like the headless hunt did the horse die with uh... them or are they still like are they able to ride like how did that work or bins and his notes 
Exactly. Like, how does Ben's grade, for example? Well, he died as a teacher, so he still has maybe some... Friends or something? Yeah, some access to still be able to do that. I don't know. So I'm assuming Myrtle, if she closes her eyes... We're just going to say that's what it is. Yeah. That's what we're going to say. Okay, I mentioned the Myrtle getting flushed, so we can move right past that. But, (laughs) um, speaking of Myrtle being creepy... Oh, this isn't just creepy. This is kind of scary. Yes. Poor, poor Olive Hornby. Well, I don't know that I would go as far as to say poor Olive Hornby. Olive Hornby sounded like a pretty nasty lady. I, I mean, from what we read and what she, like, she came into the bathroom saying, like, are you in here sulking again? Right? She was forced to go find her. We we heard about other things Olive Hornby did sure, but in she, Chamber of Secrets. She is far from the only individual. Well, no, uh, yeah. She's far from the only one. I mean, shoot, even the staff wasn't exactly apparently breaking their backs trying to find Myrtle. So it's like, let's let's be real for a second. Yeah. And and whatever transgressions I'm sure she had done. She doesn't deserve A lifetime of haunting from Myrtle? Well, the fact that the Ministry of Magic had to get involved. So, like, is Myrtle now, like, magically, like... Bound at Hogwarts, yes, bound. That's the word I was using for it. Like, she can't go anywhere other than Hogwarts because of what she did to Olive Hornby, which Which, is like, is fine because it keeps her away from Olive Hornby. But now, like, what if she sets her eyes on some student and the student can't get away from her at Hogwarts if she's bound to Hogwarts, right? So then the student would then have to again go to the Ministry of Magic, who has like, I think ghosts are labeled under the Department of Magical Creatures. I can't remember where they're labeled. I think it's regulation of magical creatures. It's like a sub. I can't remember exactly. Where did you? Yeah, I don't know. I've never. But they are regulated under like a department of the ministry. Okay. So you'd have to go to the ministry again. Yeah. And have to get them to intervene. But even having them intervene, that begs the question of how much. Like someone had to at some point create a branch of magic. To deal with ghosts. Because I can't imagine all magic is like we talked about in Chamber of Secrets with Nearly Headless Nick and the potion it took to get him back. What potion works on a ghost? And we had that whole thing on like how does that even work? So someone at some point had to create like a whole branch of magic of like ghosts and how to like bound them to anything or restrict them to things or whatever. So... I would love the little side story of the ministry coming in and being like, Myrtle. Like, at this brother's wedding or whatever, being like, <laughs> like, ministry police? Like, not oars, because I, I don't know yeah, that oars... Yeah, no, I hope they're not dispatching oars <laughs> right. or something like this. Right, because right, Fudge sent, like, a whole police squad to go get serious. Right. It wasn't, like, oars necessarily, but it was something to go get serious. Yeah. Um, so, I'm, uh, I don't know. I don't know how they do it. I don't either. But the idea that they're um, they had to actually intervene in voting right. Myrtle. Problematic Myrtle. It, Come it, on now, girl. Yeah. Do you think there's like an ask a band for ghosts? That they're like, Whoa, you're doing way too much. You need to like go maybe somewhere specific. There should be, even if I don't think there is, but I think maybe there's like the should most terrifying be. place ever. <laughs> like, can you imagine the ghosts that would have to go to an Azkaban for like I wonder if these ghosts can actually do any, like, physical harm. 
to real people. I don't think they can, because that's just poltergeist, right? That's just, like, peeves. Right. But I feel like some, I don't know, in some fantasy worlds, clearly can do things to, like, have moments of, you know, like the movie Ghost. Yeah. Well, can you imagine, like... Can they inhabit other people to then cause harm to uh, other people? That I don't know. But can you imagine the mental and emotional harm that oh, Myrtle could right. do over the course of a year, let alone Right. That's why, I, like, that's why I say I think there should be a place like Asbam Gross, if there's not, but... I hope you're all enjoying our breakdown of a bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> we all want to go there and have a rave. Apparently. It's fine. it's fine. So Harry figures this out, and he's going back to the Gryffindor Tower. Or I guess we didn't even talk about really the actual thing that he figured out. Going back to the prefect's bathroom, he figures out the egg. He puts it under the water. It sings to him instead of screeching at him. He ultimately comes to the thing about, like, oh, are there creatures underwater? Oh, wait, there's a mermaid. people? Do people exist? Okay. Are there people in the lake? Yes. Great. Now there's the actual poem. Come seek us where our voices sound. We cannot sing above the ground. And while you're searching, ponder this. We've taken what you'll sorely miss. An hour long you'll have to look and to recover what we took. But past an hour, the prospect's black. Too late, it's gone. It won't come back. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, that's a very ominous poem. He's trying to piece it together. Some of it's clearly obvious some of it less so as to what it possibly means and i mean he gets down to the nuts and bolts of it pretty quick in how am i going to breathe underwater for an hour that's the ultimate challenge yeah, yeah. and how heartbreaking was it when he says he's not a very good swimmer because the dursley's never had like gave him lessons uh the sadder part was like well vernon probably wanted me to drown yeah. so that's probably <laughs> why so that's a sad thought. Well, Harry. That's a, anyway. Yeah, that's a sad thought. Um, here's my thing. You just saw in the last chapter. First of all, we just talked about Diggory figuring this out. Well, well, like a month Sometime ago, a couple of weeks before, ago, yeah. whatever have you. Well, you know who also has clearly figured this out? If you Crumb! Could put... Crumbs figured it out. And yeah. I don't know if he figured it out himself or Karkaroff helped him or whatever have you. Fair enough. But... You just saw him in the last chapter diving into the lake. And you're like, that dude is crazy. It's January. Guess what? This task is in February. February. It's not going to be much different. I don't think anybody... Anything I think it would almost be worse. It could be worse. Yeah. No one ever talks about that. <laughs> like, when we get to the actual second task, I want to see if it's mentioned at all how cold this water is. I cannot wait. It's got to be. Because in the movie, they just, they ignore that. It's like a, it's like a fall know, or spring like day. Shorts and tank tops. And, yeah. yeah. No one's in like a winter jacket or anything. Yeah. Ugh. There's a clear issue here. <laughs> and, I, and now I get Harry's first thought is the correct thought of how do I breathe underwater for an hour? Fair. My second thought would have immediately been, that's going to be cold. Like, how am I going to like... Even tube, if you could figure out how to breathe underwater, you still have to then deal with the shock of yeah. breathing in cold water, which is not easy to do. Yeah. Hence why that one is training for it, like right now. It's, yeah. <laughs> I have issues. 
with all of it. Uh, we have a whole other part of this chapter that we haven't even I was going to say, we almost like have kind of missed the most exciting part of the chapter so we far. Have. So we have the Filch Moody Snape pajama party. How do we get to said pajama party? Uh, Harry leaves the bathroom finally. We leave the bathroom finally. And he's God. looking uh, at his map to make sure that uh, no one's on his path back to the Gryffindor Tower. And then he notices that there's a dot bouncing around Snape's office. And he looks at the dot and it says Barty Crouch. Bartimus. Bartimus Crouch, yes. And he wonders why if Barty Crouch... Bartimus Crouch. No, you can call him Barty. Barty Crouch. I'm just saying on the map it said Bartimus. Barty Crouch. <laughs> uh, Barty Crouch is, uh, he's wondering why he's in Snape's office when he's supposedly been out sick from the ministry. So he decides. Can't per... go to the U ball. Can't be judged. Right. Yeah. So in perfect hairy fashion, he decides that he has to investigate. So he goes down to Snape's office Except on the way, he's so distracted by holding the egg and the map and the invisibility cloak that he falls into that trick step that Neville always falls into. Rookie! And literally Murphy's Law breaks down. Like, anything that could possibly have happened that would have been negative for Harry happens. Yeah. Uh, he gets stuck, and the more he tries to get out of it, it, like, entraps him more. The egg clunks down each step... Which in itself creates noise, and then at the bottom opens to the screeching wailing. It's really amazing he only gets three <clears throat> people coming after him and not like the whole freaking school. I can't imagine why McGonagall didn't like come sure. sprinting. Yeah. And the map itself flies a, a couple of stair steps away. So literally, he is in the worst possible position he At least be. the cloak didn't fall off of him. The second worst possible position he could be. And uh, the first one, um, per his odd sense of magic, like he's the first one to everything somehow, some way. Filch comes, finds the egg, assumes it's Peeves. Great. <laughs> that works out great. Okay, he stole an egg from a champion. Okay, great. And then Snape is shortly followed. In his Ebenezer Scrooge nightgown. <laughs> pasty, pasty legs. You know, you know oh that's what God. it is. Oh, no one needs to picture Snape's pasty legs. This is what image she put in my mind. Okay. <laughs> I am so sorry for those listening that now have the image. You're welcome. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, but yeah, you have Snape follow who was already up because of the noise in his room. And he was wanting to check that out. And then you get the clunk, clunk, clunk of Moody's leg uh, coming in. And we have this pajama party where all three of them are in their pajamas figuring out what made this noise. So here's the thing. You have, before Moody joins, you have Filch and Snape arguing mm -hmm. about um, what takes priority. Peeves or a possible break into his personal stores. And then... When Moody comes in, it's interesting to see the dynamic shift. And Snape closes up very quickly mm -hmm. and becomes more reserved. He's like, forget it. I'll figure it out. It's fine. We find out a lot of interesting information here. And we find out that Moody has already searched Severus's stores. Um, 
doing quote unquote like due diligence as an aurer and figuring out potential issues. I love how Phil was just concerned about like Peeves this entire time. He's like, that's great, that's great, that's I great. I mean, really, Peeves. everybody's focused on their own business. Oh, 100%. I mean, like, really? Is Filch wrong? that Because, like, Snape just assumes a student broke into his stores. Yeah. Filch thinks Peeves stole a student's property. I mean, like, they're kind of equal. And Moody is just there to seemingly needle Snape at oh, every chance absolutely. he gets. Oh, absolutely. Like, if anything, Moody is, like, low man on the priority totem pole. Oh, yeah, he's just there. I mean, there. he's my priority, because anybody who wants to needle Snivellus, I'm here for. He but... does such a good job. Such a good job. And he's he... got some great one-liners. Oh, does he? Which... Yeah, spoilers. We'll get to later. Yeah. Um, but he does say, like, he does actually utter the words like, oh, I wouldn't mind meeting you in a dark corridor, which that's an inflammatory comment. I have thoughts. I feel like, oh, yeah. It's so good. But anyway, so a lot of the this interaction that we have, we're going to get to in the spoiler section. So I want to jump ahead to uh, <laughs> the, uh, the map is found. And Moody goes to pick it up, and he thinks Snape dropped it. And mm -hmm. Harry is underneath the cloak going, oh, my God, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. To which Moody then grabs it in front of Snape. And Snape, I, can, I picture this in my mind. It's like a slow motion event of yeah. the paper going by Snape's eyes, and he's tracking it <laughs> in slow motion. And it goes to Moody. And then all of a sudden, he just goes... Potter. <laughs> and I love the just the Potter whisper. And then he's like, this is Potter. This is definitely Harry Potter. They've got the champion's egg. You have that piece of parchment, which I swear I've seen before. Well, I didn't remember how close he gets to actually physically touching Harry. That Harry had to actually like lean back away from his hands. Mm -hmm. That was, it was a much closer Severus knows he has an invisibility right cloak. Like, and Harry's sitting under this invisibility cloak. He is putting all of this together. As only Snape can when it comes to Harry Potter. Uh, say what you want about Snape, and I know you have a lot to say about Snape. He's not an idiot. <laughs> like, he's putting stuff together very quickly. Uh, and Moody does a great job of swaying him this way and that way and getting him off kilter enough. I was going to say, getting it. his mind off of it, yeah. He does a really, really good job. But Moody ends up taking the map. He's borrowing it as a little uh thank you very much for saving harry right there you yeah, know like what was like, harry supposed to say well also teacher student yeah i mean should... lupin did the same thing he's yeah. like ah, i'm just gonna pocket this for a second but lupin <laughs> said like specifically said like i'm taking this right. as your teacher moody's more like can i borrow this <laughs> like this is useful <laughs> yeah meanwhile he's like looking over the map and the, the magical eye is just, like, bouncing all over the map, and there, there's a lot to it. Wrapping this chapter up, um, he does make an interesting suggestion of, like, you know, have you ever thought about being an or? You might make a good one. Just a thought. Well, because Harry, like, and yes, Harry had help getting to all of these connections, but when Harry puts out the connections that Moody doesn't necessarily think a 14-year-old is making... I think he is impressed and surprised, and that's why he throws out the suggestion. In all, in all honesty, 
I would, if I was a teacher and uh, equivalent to a freshman in high school was putting that much of it together, I'd be like, oh man, <laughs> like, whew, okay. <laughs> you know, I'd be impressed, well, but also a little like, all uh, teachers are probably even making all of those connections. No, I mean, you have to almost be involved in it in a certain way to even yeah. like, why would that connect to this? There's no reason why. But if you know, then you know. then you know. But I do like Harry's comment about, well, before I make the decision on being an or, I gotta figure out if they're all as scarred as that. <laughs> like, yeah, it was, that's fair. It's cute. It's totally fair. Uh, with that, let's pause, <laughs> take a break, and we'll get into a spoiler section that I promise will be entertaining because Anna and I have some thoughts. And they're really cool thoughts. So we will be right back with the spoiler section. Kill the stab! All right, so we are back with the spoiler section of chapter 25, The Egg and the Eye. I guess we haven't really talked much about the eye in the chapter, which we can here in a second. Um, but I, I have to start with this, because this part of this chapter got me so good. And it was great. And I will read it word for word here. Uh, this is Moody talking about Snape to Snape. Of course Dumbledore trusts you, growled Moody. He's a trusting man, isn't he? Believes in second chances. But me? I say there are spots that don't come off, Snape. Spots that never come off. Do you know what I mean? We're in the spoiler section. My oh, but you totally gosh, get past great. the point that Snape even goes and grabs for his forearm. Like, oh, it's so great. It's so, so great. I don't even need that because just the the him calling him calling it spots to begin with. But the fact that just calling it spots gets under Snape's like it's hard to get under the Snape the skin of Severus Snape. Yeah, and he does it that easily and that well you have discreetly. The, you have the conversation with Karkaroff earlier. You this also indicates the level of respect that Snape has towards Moody. And I do mean Moody here, yeah, not Tardy Yeah, like the real Crouch. Alistair Moody, yeah. Right. And it shows you the respect that he has for Moody because when Karkaroff mentions the dark mark in their conversation in the courtyard, Snape's like, eh, whatever. I'm yeah. not concerned about it. I'm staying here. True. And he just shrugs Karkaroff off like he's nothing. Moody, however, says, one, granted, it's extraordinarily clever, but it gets to him in a real way yeah and it, he doesn't even know that it's actually barty crouch jr this is so many layers of great and just the wording of like spots spots that number never come off it's so good yes yes it is uh and you know we had conversations when karkaroff had that conversation with snape we had the conversation of oh it's getting like more pronounced mm -hmm. or it's like it's becoming clear clear visible so the spots that never come off so in theory voldemort made this so it would never come off you it's it's on it's on forever but it does fade i was just saying i always imagined it like like when he when voldemort isn't trying to like call them like make them aware or call them for a meeting whatever does it ever just fade completely where, like, if I were to pull up my sweater, it's invisible? Like, you just see my skin? Or is it always at least the outline right. of it? So, my question was, when Voldy dies, 
like dies dies does that go away mm. or does it because or is it always there like a brand it just fades i would assume voldy being him <laughs> would want that to always, always be, there. be there no matter and what a brand is a good comparison because it burns when he's calling them right yep. when he pre actually presses his finger to one of them and yep so, but here Moody says they never come off. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting, I guess, the wordings behind it. But I loved that he <laughs> took this shot. And, you know, we've talked about Moody slash Crouch. Yes. <laughs> we are basically president and vice president of the <laughs> Moody really Junior fan club. We really are. And this is another great example because uh, you brought up in our break, um, Believe it or not, our break is more than six seconds long. We actually take much, <laughs> much longer time. Uh, but you brought up that this might be like Crouch cracking a bit. I think it's him cracking a bit for sure. Yeah. And I'm not disagreeing with you, but I think it's genius that even him cracking is still right. in cover. And that's what I mean. Like, I don't know that you, cracking is even the right word. Like, I think he's starting to let more of his feelings show than usual like clearly he's still staying in character clearly you know snape has no suspicions whatsoever but the comment about meeting him down a dark corridor the spots comment which clearly his mark mark would also be becoming clearer mm -hmm. so he knows that i like i just think the the comment about you know there's nothing more than he hates than a death eater that went free like, he's just letting more and more of his own feelings come out than he normally does, I feel like. Who? And I, I feel like we've talked about this before, so apologies if we have. But who do you think Snape would feel is more of a threat? Moody or Barty Crouch Jr.? And I'm not just talking about, like, what information they can give. Like, yeah. if he's saying, I wouldn't mind meeting you in a dark corridor, that's a, that's a real threat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like meeting down a dark corridor and, like, an actual duel, I think Snape would be more worried to meet Moody. Okay. But in this whole game of, like, you know espionage and like finding out information and you know more discreet kind of almost like cold war moves purely brains over brawn yes. kind of thing i think he's definitely more worried about crouch jr i would love a side book on a series of books on just the death eater side of things mm. like yeah. Lucius and Severus and Barty Dollar Crouch Tricks. Jr. and yes, Dollahoff. And like, I'm, seriously, and Yaxley. Like, I would like to see the interplay between all of them mm -hmm. and this almost Game of Thrones esque uh, musical chairs just to get close because to Volk. Yeah, I would definitely. Game of Thrones is a good comparison because I don't think any of them are necessarily friends. Like, I feel like maybe the closest loyalty you get between Death Eaters is probably Bellatrix and Narcissa. Only because they're related. Even that, but even <laughs> that, like, Bellatrix is still, she'd throw Narcissa under the bus if Voldemort asked her to. Probably, yeah. But I think she's more loyal to Narcissa than she is her own husband. 
Yeah. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> so. But wouldn't it be fascinating to kind of get all the dynamics between them? Yes, it would. And, uh, you know, Aaron asked what Snape's role was as a Death Eater when he first started. Because clearly he mm. supposedly climbs the ranks very quickly to be as much of a voice in Voldy's ear as any of the others, any of the other older ones that have been there longer. True. I mean, he would have been joining the ranks fresh out of Hogwarts, even maybe while he was still in Hogwarts. Mm -hmm. So he'd probably have a lot more up-to-date information about Dumbledore than um, some of the other Death Eaters would. Um, I thought of him he'd as have more... some inside information about some obvious Order of the Phoenix members. I thought of him as more of an informant, yeah, versus like an enforcer. But I mean, he's obviously got the magical skills, sure. So I think it would be a combination of the two. Voldemort's no idiot; he's going to see that he's got the intellect. There's plenty of Death Eaters that are all brawn, no brain. Right. So Voldemort's going to recognize he's got brain, he's got skill. Maybe he keeps him closer because this is one of his only Death Eaters with brains. He wants to make sure this young upstart isn't going to try and usurp him. Right. <laughs> like a rule of two Sith kind of thing. <laughs> there <laughs> we go. <laughs> um, there's your Star Wars mention for the day. We're not even done with the Moody slash Crouch line drops uh, because he then goes... Snape, Snape, to his credit, does have a verbal joust with Moody here. Mm -hmm. And bless Filch. He's completely naive to all of Oh, this. he's still thinking about Peeves. <laughs> yeah. Like, Filch is gone. <laughs> My sweet, we need to break away. <laughs> but... My precious. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Severus comes back at Moody with, like... After he whispers Potter and like figures out, hey, this is Harry Potter, he comes and he comes back at Moody with like, well, for his own safety, we need to get him back. If someone's like, you know, coming after him or whatever, if people are breaking into, you know, storage, we need to make sure he's safe. And then Moody. It's a pretty recline from Snape. Oh, like, 100%, on. which like, is why yeah. no one really believes that. Yeah. However, Moody, uh, Crouch comes back with, got Potter's best interests at heart. Have you? Question mark. And as of this point in the books, it's a good like one-liner because what you just said, it's a pretty weak line from Snape and ha ha ha, Snape's obviously been cruel to Harry this entire time. In the grand scheme of things though, it's a really interesting question given the grand scope of what Snape's role is here is to protect Have Harry. Lily's best interest at heart because he's a creeper That's... who can't move on. Sure, but that role is to protect Harry and, and make sure he's ultimately safe. Yeah. So even though that's a what Moody think or what Crouch thinks is this like, haha, I got you question is like and, Snape wants to be like, yeah, actually. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? And that's Snape playing his role of like yeah. if you only freaking knew, <laughs> you know, like how what role I have in this whole thing. Uh which Crouch would think is interesting. You know, I mean, this, there's like... I mean, thank God Snape didn't, like, trust in him and, like, tell him that to try and maybe prove to Moody his loyalty or something. Like, that's what yeah. I'm saying. There's layers to just that one question. 
But you have these two, you, you brought up the word espionage. Like these two individuals are so darn good at what they're doing. They don't even break when they're literally provoked in a very yeah. aggressive way. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. And then, yeah, we haven't even finished with the provocative quotes yet. Is you get this quote from from Crouch. If there's one thing I hate, it's a Death Eater who walked free. Which, you could have that quote from Moody or from Crouch, and yes, it works just the you same. You could. It's brilliant. <laughs> like, I, I loved this interaction. And I run my notes like the double meaning is killing me because... Anna, this is some of her best writing. I, I'm just going to say it. It's some of her best writing because it's just fantastic. Crouch Jr. in general is some of her best writing. It's so good. And Harry, bless him, he picks up on one. Uh, one of, uh, like, wait, did he just say what I think he said? Does that mean? And then it, like, cuts and to another, like, conversation and another thing and distracts him per Harry because that's what Harry does. And he's, I'm assuming, I haven't read Goblet of Fire in a minute, but I'm assuming he's just going to drop that like it's never happened. Oh, yeah, yeah. And go about his business and not tell Hermione or not tell Ron that Moody just basically called Snape a Death Eater. Okay? <laughs> like, fine. You've been on the tip of it so many times. Ron called it. Yep. With the Karkaroff discussion. Ron calls a lot of things, though. Like, I remember at some point there was, like, a big theory in the fandom that Arthur was going to end up Minister of Magic because it was, like, one of the throwaway comments that Ron makes. Mm -hmm. And Ron always predicted things with his throwaway comments. Yeah. 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 I, what, what do you think about the, if there's one thing I hate, it's a Death Eater who walked free? It's just... Uh, I mean, it's like you said, it's just so good, the double meaning behind it. It's kind of like... You know, now that you've read it so many times and now that we're reading it so closely and so in love with Crouch Jr., it's almost like, how were we so blindsided? I mean, like, Dan, I will give money to a person who could actually prove to me that when this book first came out in, in what was it? 1999? 2000? 2000? That they saw Alistair Moody being an imposter. Like, all of us loved Moody. Yeah. Every single one of us. Nobody saw him being the one. And now reading it, I'm just like, how did we not see it? I'm reading it. I know the outcome. I'm still reading like, wow. This is like... It's just because, like you said, it could, be, it could be could be coming from an aura like Moody. It could be coming from Croucher. It's... She did good. Uh, Crazy it, it... Girl did good. <laughs> uh, the fact that Moody's got a rep for putting so many behind bars... So you, I don't even know, to your point about Crouch slipping a bit, mm -hmm. I don't even know if he's even, like, playing the role of Moody here. He's just talking freely and it's just so happening to work out for him. Do you know what I mean? I think this maybe is... at this point he's started trusting how much everybody, how crazy everybody thinks Moody is. And how much Moody is known for hating Death Eaters, that he's just maybe letting a little bit more of his disdain for Snape and Karkaroff be free. Do you think Crouch got this assignment and he was like, I don't know if I could do that. That's a hard ask. 
And then did you think he like looked into Moody a little bit more and was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be helpful. We because, have. I mean, like, so Moody's a little bit crazy at this point. Or at least perceived as a little bit crazy. Correct. Crouch has got to be a little bit crazy by this point. Oh, 100%. I mean, how many years in Azkaban, then all those years under the Imperius curse, and then he's given hours to learn the role of Moody? Right. Like, find out that your master is, like, expecting all of this from you? It's kind of unbelievable, almost, that he's able to sustain this for a year. I have a question for you that I just thought of now. And we talked about how like sadistic is Barty Crouch Jr. Mm -hmm. versus like clinically or just completely out of his mind Mm -hmm. sadistic. And do you think the reason he was so adamant on putting students under the Imperius Curse was because of his own history with the Imperius Curse? And it like messed with them enough that he's like, I was under this for so long. And it's, like, got to him a little bit. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I don't know if I'm wording this I mean, the right way. I, but so do you I think his affinity... I can curse getting to him a little bit, but I don't see how it would make him want to put... I don't really know where you're going so, with okay. wanting to put others under it. Does his history with the Imperious curse mm-hmm. maybe show you why he was so adamant about actually putting the students oh like helping people learn to fight it off either that or just just putting the imperious curse on others either way or both different ways you could go with it there's like the way you could go that like he was under for so long he thinks it in some way gave him some new level of power so he's like thinking he needs to share it. There could be that other people just, if I had to experience this other people, it'll bring me joy to make other people experience it. So I'm thinking that's the negative take on it, is the I suffered through this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make others feel that kind of stupidity. or like Because Barty Crouch Jr. is a smart, clever guy. And he got by it tricked by it however you want to say so he's gonna impart that absurdity or that stupidity or that that feeling of being like helpless or hopeless or whatever you want to not hopeless but helpless or the good part is like you said the positive spin is he suffered under it for so long now his kind of uh positive spin is i'm gonna help People reject it. I mean, I think based on the truth that he shares when he's under Veritaserum at the end of the book, I think it's pretty clear he's not wishing goodwill on very many people. Um, Fellow Death Eaters, people, you know, fighting his master. So I don't, as much as I would like to think that he's wanting to help these young people learn how to fight off the Imperius Curse, I don't think it's that. This whole conversation is kind of bringing to mind Heath Ledger's Joker in the Dark Knight for me. Okay. When he's kind of... I mean, Barty Crouch clearly has a plan, but the whole imperiousness of it almost makes me think of his conversation with Harvey Dent when he's saying, like, I'm just... 
a, a dog. Oh, let um, off the chain. Let off the chain. Yeah. And he's just kind of like, you know, Chaos. he's going to put me in a school with students, like I'll, I'll get the job done that he needs me to do. But for the rest of it, I'm just going to cause as much chaos. I'm going to poke at Snape and cause as much chaos as I can there. I'm going to poke at Cartgraff, cause chaos there. Cause chaos with the, <clears throat> the unforgivable curses. Can we play a, like a... see what happens. Can we play like a what if? What if Barty Crouch Jr. doesn't meet the end that he meets? Mm-hmm. And he's allowed to go back to Azkaban. Mm-hmm. And things ensue as they do. And everybody gets broken out of Azkaban like they do. And now you have Barty Crouch Jr. with fellow supporters that ended up in Azkaban like the Bellatrix. Yeah. You know, like... Uh, like Dolphus. Love. Right. With yeah, the quote-unquote true believers yeah. that, like, stayed. How do you think he would have ended up? Like, do you think he would have just hunted down some of the other Death Eaters that kind of... Like, would he hunt down Lucius, who got off easy? Would he have been the one to hunt down Karkaroth? I think he would have been the one to hunt down Karkaroth because Voldemort wanted him hunted down. I think if Voldemort doesn't it tells him that he you know doesn't want them hunted down but i think there's enough obedience left in him that he listens the one person he listens to yeah well that would increase my game of thrones theory could you imagine <laughs> like well no i think your point i think that would have caused snape a lot more trouble completing his role Throughout, if if Crouch survives and, you know, serves under Voldemort with the fellow diehards, like, Bellatrix is one thing not, you know, trusting Snape and this and that, but Crouch Jr. not trusting? Because, I mean, like, okay, so we know from Curtis Child, Voldemort, I guess, quote, I don't know, trusted is the right word. He clearly didn't love her, but he had a baby with Bellatrix, whatever. But I think he respected Crouch Jr. more than he respected Bellatrix. Interesting. Okay. So does Crouch Jr. have his ear just enough that he overpowers Snape in the whole, you know, Game of Thrones power to be Voldy's number two? Does Snape not find out as much? Is Snape not as trusted? How would that work if Snape comes up with his excuse for doing what he's done and gets that number two role because he's just in a more advantageous position. True. Versus Crouch, who's done all of this work, who's been there, done that. Already has the bitterness towards Snape for walking free. Yep. That might create some inter-Death Eater issues, which would be fascinating. Is it enough to put a seed of doubt in Crouch towards Voldemort? No, Does he I lose think he's respect gone. for Voldemort because he chooses Snape over? I mean, he's upset at the end of the book when he finds out that Voldemort welcomed all the Death Eaters back and forgives them. Oh yeah, no, I well, I think he's upset. I don't know if that would seed doubt because okay, if a non-believer, if somebody who walked free gets placed above him, okay, so let me. He's the most trusted servant. Okay, so let's go with let's go with that. So, do you think? Voldemort doing that again, like spurning a trusted confidant. Mm-hmm. So he did that with Snape. He mm-hmm. killed Lily. Lily. 
and spurned a trusted confidant who then flipped. Mm -hmm. If he does that to Barty Crouch and Barty Crouch Jr. then sows some doubt in his mind about like, I've sacrificed for him and I've done a lot of things for him and I am not even worthy of being like a second or a third or whatever. Forget this and flips. I don't think Crouch Jr. flips. I think he branches off on his own. An independent contractor, really? Like a mercenary? I don't think, like, he's not going back to work for Dumbledore and, you know, the people who were friends with his father. Then he better get far, far away. Like, the only thing... No, I agree like, with you there, but I'm just saying, like, Crouch doesn't go back to the fold. Like, he doesn't do what Snape did. You, yeah, but you don't walk away from Voldy either. No, you don't. So you got to make a calculated choice. If you're... That's what Snape did. He made a calculated choice to leave, to flip, but he went to Dumbledore. The only person that could save him. So is there a Death Eater? Does Okay, say Voldemort doesn't go to kill a crouch himself. Say he tries to dispatch a Death Eater. Is there a Death Eater who could take out Crouch? I mean, I know we said that Snape, you know, fears Moody more in a physical duel. But, like, let's say that duel happens. Is Snape succeeding? Is Bellatrix succeeding? We really, I mean... We don't know Barty Crouch Jr.'s specific uh, quote-unquote power level. Right. Um, I would assume he's quite talented given his Ravenclaw background and being so close to Voldy for quite a long time. I'm sure he's learned a couple of tricks. That being said, I would think Snape would have a good shot would have a good shot. I think there are people that have a good shot. Like him, Bellatrix would have a good shot. You're going to hate me. Say it. You're going to hate me. Say it. No, you think you're obsession with Olohold. It's he took out two talented ors or one talented or and one member of the order. It's not nothing. Don't give me that. He's been a top assassin for a long time. It's literally the only thing we know about him. He's good at killing. Yes, that's what we know about him. You just asked me who could potentially go after Crouch Jr. A literal assassin is like the one who could. Don't give me Rowl or like McNair. I'll give you Snape and Bellatrix. Nobody else has a shot. Yaxley? No. You're not a big fan of Yaxley. I think he's like Crab and Goyle. He's just muscle. Oh, I think he's got more brains than Crab and Goyle. Yeah. Adult or kid version of the... Well, we don't really know anything about the adult versions other than they are Death Eaters. I I mean, he was essentially running the ministry. Meh. <laughs> just a meh for Yaxley. All right. Uh... <laughs> I don't know. We got off on a know, lot we got of tangents. Off on a lot of tangents. <laughs> I don't know. Did you have anything else for the spoilers section? Um, oh, yes. Oh, okay. Yes. The Marauders map. Mm-hmm. Yes. It is very convenient that this is the one time that the map kind of sort of fails, and it just says Bartimus Bartimus Crouch and not Bartimus Crouch Jr. Yeah, I had the same thought of shouldn't it show up a junior or a senior yes. uh, if they're technically two different people i i do not think it is a failure in the map i think jk just didn't have a way around it yeah uh there are some plot convenience 
issues throughout the books. I get it. Uh, She wrote seven books that some of them are... There's some plot armor. You could argue the character of Harry Potter is just all plot armor because there are some things that he should not not be able to get out of or figure out or both. But, I mean, obviously he's the title character, so he needs to. But, you know, whatever. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes, plot armor uh does matter uh but i did have the same thought of like oh that's super convenient that it doesn't say specifically junior considering we had a whole book about peter Pettigrew showing up exactly this is what i'm saying or or it's not saying scabbers it's not right or uh even better and this gets into another issue that we that i had that i didn't talk into the non-spoiler of harry potter and the cloak oh yeah so We've, I liked this argument from you. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about it before with Moody spying him in the three broomsticks mm-hmm. uh, while he's under the cloak. And in this chapter, we get Moody, obviously, seeing him again under the cloak. But we also get Mrs. Norris, who doesn't see him per se, but smells him under the cloak, which I guess is a loophole. Um, but is still staring yeah, in his general direction. Death has a smell. So he probably didn't take that into consideration when he made his cloak. Well, I don't know. But but the idea that you're supposed to be completely invisible yeah. to a deity of death, it's pretty loophole-free <laughs> in that you should be 100% completely yeah. out of the spectrum, whatever. But you also have the issue of the Marauder's Map. Because that will show you exactly where that individual is. Should the cloak be able to hide you from the map? map. I get that there's arguments to be made why it doesn't. I was going to say because the map was created by a descendant of the owner of the cloak. Oh, you're going that route. Okay. Maybe that's a loophole for why the cloak does not apply (laughs) for the map. That would be an interesting loophole in magic to... Uh, okay, I didn't. I did not have you going that route with it. But okay. I mean, why wouldn't I go with James Potter? I, well, oh, that's fair. We'll put a tally on the mentions James Potter. <laughs> <laughs> like, fair enough. Um, part of me says no. He shouldn't show up on the map. No, I see the argument of why he should not show on the map. I definitely agree. I don't think Moody should be able to see him because. His eye, whatever, is man-made. Like, Yeah, was the eye given, is, also given death, to him by right. death? If death is wearing his cloak, can Moody see death just because of this man-made eye? Like, I don't Maybe that's know. why he's so paranoid all the time. Ooh, wow, I would feel bad for that man then. No wonder. I think he should be much more cuckoo bananas than he is then. Not so weird with the dustbins anymore. Huh? I never thought he was weird with the dustbins. That was all you, okay? That's all you. Anyway... <laughs> Um, but yes, the only workaround I kind of see with the map is because an owner of the cloak's magic helped make it, but that's a pretty weak argument. He probably shouldn't show up on the map either. Yeah, that's, that's the thing I just thought of now, but I had the Moody and Mrs. Norris thing earlier, but, uh, I mean, we never know for sure that Mrs. Norris can see him. It's just a sense that Harry gets, which... It's true. Harry's got to be feeling pretty paranoid when he's that close to being discovered. Like That's also true. I think a lot of the things, I feel like the unwritten words in the book actually is more important in a lot of cases because there's a lot of context taken out. <laughs> and I think that's one of them is Harry's 
emotions that aren't written specifically kind of do matter because it's like yeah, his paranoia know. or his anxiety or his whatever. But can you imagine like Snape's hands like outstretched like inches from hitting you mm-hmm. and like physically finding you out? Yep. His heart's got to be pounding. Yeah. Like, but yeah. It does create things that might not necessarily be accurate or true, but right. it he perceives it as such. It's just not written. I don't know. You can interpret it, I guess, however you want. We've talked a lot about interpretation in her writing. Yeah, we have. So, take that for what you want. Do you have anything else? I don't think so, no. I'm sure we probably left something out, but we'll figure that out next time we're on. Yeah, we <laughs> and we'll go from there. But uh, we are quickly wrapping up on this book. We're less. We're about a third of the way left to go. Yeah, kind of sad. Yeah, it's... I mean, I'm looking forward to Luna, but I'm not looking forward to Emo Harry. <sighs> I... I know it's your favorite. Well, I think there's worse Harry moments that we have left to come. <sighs> Do we? I don't like Harry in Half-Blood Prince. He annoys oh, me in Half-Blood Prince. Oh, his obsession with Draco. Yeah, that annoys yeah, me a lot. Yeah, it's rough. That it annoys me doesn't annoy me as much as Emo. No, I think that stretch... So, we've had... Emo Harry in five, we get the camping scenes in seven, and we get yeah. him stalking Draco in six. To me, the worst of the three is stalking Draco, because it's like wow. every other page, and it's annoying. That's my least of those three. Really? Yeah. Well, well we have three books to discuss. <laughs> <laughs> so get prepared for Anna and me to argue more. <laughs> um, You're welcome, Jenna. Josh. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Another shout out for Josh. <laughs> We will be back next week with chapter 26, so please join us then. Let us know if uh, what your thoughts were on this chapter, The Egg and the Eye. I hope we talked enough about the egg and the eye. We didn't really talk about the egg very much, Not I guess. Not very much, no. But, uh, but hey, you got a lot of prefects bathroom in this chapter, so Hooray! enjoy. <laughs> and we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.